Hi, everyone. This is Elise Chenier, Director of the Archives of Lesbian Oral Testimony. Thanks for tuning in. I wanted to let you know that you can find and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you like what you hear, consider throwing us some stars. It really helps us get the word out about the archives. And if you like what we're doing and have some loose change, think about becoming a financial backer. We're here to serve the community, and to keep doing that, we're going to need a little help. If you can play that role, please get in touch with me by email at e. C-H-E-N-I-E-R at S-F-U dot C-A. Thanks, everyone. I'm Kelly Hitchcock, and you're listening to the Lesbian Testimony Podcast, a project for the Archives of Lesbian Oral Testimony at allotarchives.org, which is an online, trans-inclusive, open-access archive for oral testimony of same-sex or same-desiring women, including lesbian, queer, and two-spirit people. Each week, we'll talk to a donor from the archives about one of their donations or an oral historian about their recent work. So today we're speaking to Azra Poe and Lindsay Tattersall about their interview with Gretchen that they uploaded on our Bridging the Gap project. And Azra is currently working in community services with families and children. And Lindsay was doing similar community work in Nelson and is currently pursuing midwifery in Ontario. So hello, guys. How are you doing? Hi. Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, definitely. Um, so can you tell me about how you came into this project and interviewing Gretchen? Sure. So Azra and I came to this project. We were both new to Nelson and hanging around the Women's Center a bit and seeing different ways that you kind of get involved. And separately, we didn't know that we had both kind of found this poster and become interested, but we found a poster that was just talking about, you know, lesbian oral testimony and the importance of including queer voices in history, kind of moving forward or history, I guess. And we attended a uh, info night, not really knowing what we were signing up for or if we were signing up even. And then right from there, like right that evening, got right into it, got really involved and interested and started learning interviewing skills right that night. Like they had the cameras there. And I remember that was the first time I learned how to use a video camera or anything like that, uh, doing it right in the first info night. And so right from that, we were pretty interested and excited about the potential to hear stories of lesbians and queer communities in the Nelson area. Awesome. So how did you end up picking Gretchen specifically? So when we first came to Nelson, I had met a group of queer and punk, mostly women, and they have the trailer for people who are in transition, like Lindsay and I and Lindsay's partner, Bjorn. So we stayed on that land, and through them... Um, I think it was a potluck. We went to Gretchen's house and yeah, they were like really giving to us to let us stay with them and have a place while we were looking for another home. And so when we heard about the interviewing possibility, we had like a huge queer community out in the valley that we knew already. And so I asked Gretchen if she would be willing to be interviewed and be asked really intimate questions. (laughs) So we were both really excited about that and learning more about who she was. Cool. So can you tell us a bit about Gretchen and some context for the clip? So actually, it was really interesting. Throughout this thing, it was called the lesbian oral testimony. And a thing that we kept noticing over and over was Gretchen Mm -hmm. and her community, they didn't use that word. You know, they really identified with the word queer and and they were women who were involved in relationships with women, but they didn't want to use the word lesbian. And that kind of became a speaking point with the volunteer group because we would keep saying, Azra and I would keep saying things like we're 
at interviewing queer women and sometimes some of the women from older generations would be like but we're not looking for queer women we're looking for lesbians and uh. it became this thing about language which was really interesting because it was just like a thing about language and the ways that people identify anyway so throughout I think I will continue to use the word queer to describe Gretchen because that's the word that they use and they talk a little bit about that in the interview so they identify as a queer woman from the states who has found a safe and loving community in Nelson and lots of our interviews talked about why this place was so open and giving to them and what made it possible and safe for them to be there they're part of the punk community there which i think speaks to the way that they have felt sort of like pushed out of mainstream society in a lot of ways and then accepted by this whole other sort of like subculture yeah does that answer your question yeah definitely and she has a really interesting story so i'll just play the clip and yeah so here we go and since the time i had left and then came back um there had been open this doctor who I had met before was uh, super awesome and he like kind of like just decided to like he's from Manitoba and went to school and then like uh, decided to like open up a trans clinic in Man- in Winnipeg and so uh, and they like made that his mission so he did and um, it's like really successful and it's like it it became like he, he single handedly made like surgery not being paid by the province like like, from like manitoba not paying for surgery to um like to like manitoba being the best place that you could possibly go Hmm. because like they have like the best doctors the best like the chillest like team they're the only like trans specific clinic yeah winnipeg um i i can't say enough nice things about uh them and Ian Wetter is the doctor's name. Um, but yeah, so then I had to go and like jump through their hoops, but where they were much more like, you know, like I, I told them what the other doctor told me is like, oh yeah, I'm not socially responsible or like not socially acceptable or whatever. And, and they were just kind of like, that's bullshit. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, like you can be on welfare and get surgery. Like they were like, you know, you could be schizophrenic and get surgery. We just want to make sure that your schizophrenia is like under control. I'm, I'm not schizophrenic, but that's just an example. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, so then after jumping through all those hoops, and even with them being awesome, it still took like a year and a half. And then I got a date for surgery, got surgery. What were we talking about? Just that doctor. Yeah, okay. So then there's that. Well, also, um, what did that feel like to have to jump through those hoops and wait in order to become the person you felt like you um, I don't know. I mean, like, it sucked. I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't put any blame on... I guess I just, like, I came through the system at a time that it was changing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like ten years ago, everything was so much different than it is now. Um, it's, like, dramatically different. And, uh... And I feel like I came in just in a really weird time for that change. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it just it just is what it is. I mean, like I got the government to pay for a thirty thousand dollars surgery, so the fact that I had to jump through some hoops for it, uh, I'm not gonna complain too much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was also really funny because it made me like like I'm not one to have a lot of pride in my country, but um, but it made me very grateful to live in Canada 
because not very many places in the world would they pay for you to like they like not even just like allow you to be trans but just like like they would like you know like oh yeah like this is totally okay and we'll even like foot the bills <laughs> like that's that's something not that this country doesn't have its like really serious faults but that's one nice little little shiny side anyways mm -hmm. how did you feel after your operation Oh, it's horrible. I mean, they operate, like, I mean, like, I, I had, like, a year of recovery. <laughs> um, wow. So it was, like, it was really, really, really intense. It was super intense. Um, I actually, like, was so exhausted from it that I kind of, like, snapped and had a little bit of a psychotic moment. Uh, I had to go to the psych ward for a little while. And I, I, in retrospect, I just, I can see it's really clear, like, that was, like, like three months or four months after I had surgery and so it was just like obviously like I had just like been bedridden for like two months and then like you know I can't lift over 10 pounds for another three and so it's just like I was just so exhausted so tired like I couldn't stand anywhere I could walk around but if I stood somewhere then you just like start your balance a little bit your body just keeps you upright and it moves you like this and that like just really hurt my groin muscles and so um, I couldn't stand anywhere so it's like just shit like that. Like I couldn't work. I couldn't do fucking anything. Um, Were you supportive at that time? Yeah, I mean, I had a partner. We ended up breaking up because, like, I think that that me going through surgery was just too much. Hmm. Um, and I've I've met a couple other trans folks who have gone through surgery and then like shortly thereafter breaking up with their partners because it's just such an intense thing to go through with somebody hmm. that like man, if you could survive that, that's pretty impressive. At any point you regret it? No. No. It was the most, like, horrible, intensely painful, miserable experience of my life. I, it was so brutally painful. It was torture. It was fucking pure torture. Um, but yeah, no, I don't regret it at all. I would totally do it again. Um, when did you feel like the identity of being a woman was you? Um, well, I'd always hated being trans, um, I'd always kind of, like, despised it. I feel like if I, I, I mean, I joke, but, like, if I, like, wasn't trans, I would probably be really, really transphobic. Probably be, like, a second-wave feminist. <laughs> Not really. But, but, like, I've always just, I've always just been like, oh, I fucking hate being trans, it's fucking stupid, it doesn't make any sense. Like, if, I, my, my argument, and, like, as a trans person, I would make this argument that, like, if, like, if you were, like, oh, my, my breasts are too small, I'm so insecure about it, and, like, man, your fucking, your tits are perfect, you don't need to get a boob job, you know, like, you are just beautiful the way that you are, you are perfect the way that you are, but then someone's trans, and it's, like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get you that surgery. It's, mm -hmm. like, well, what's the difference there? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know, and I still don't know the answer to that. I, I, I mean, obviously, like... I, I went through with it all, and, like, I, like, don't regret it at all, but, uh, it was just, like, a weird thing for me. So, I guess the identity of being a woman just kind of came naturally. I guess it's, like, really, it really hit hard after I had surgery, and after I had, like, been recovering for a few months. It was, I was just like, I'm done. I'm done being trans. And then, uh, about two years ago, I stopped taking hormones. Um, 
just kind of to see what would happen and see if I could get away with it, and I can. Um, and that felt really freeing as well, because you know, like having to take a fucking pill every day, mm-hmm. it's like a bunch of bullshit. So yeah. it's nice to just, you know, like I'm not like a cis woman, but like I don't like I don't identify as like like a trans woman. Like I am a trans woman, but I'm not like I'm not like hi, I'm Gretchen, a trans woman. <laughs> like I, that's not. And like, yeah, it's just not like a thing that I generally talk about with people. Mm-hmm. So do you identify with a trans community around here or? No, no, not at all. I mean, I know some trans people. Um, I like dated a trans person for a really long time. Um, but that's actually really funny because I was always like, I would never date a trans person. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. That's gross. <laughs> and then I did. And then I fell in love with one, so... But then I fell in love. But yeah, so I, mean, I can't say I would never do it. But I still, like, feel like I would never do that again. But, you know... <laughs> but, like, who the fuck knows? But yeah, it was so funny, because I was just like, that is something I would never do. And I guess it was what it was, as like, I just, like... I feel like I've dated a lot of people who are really insecure about their gender. Who are just, like... Um, really genderqueer or whatever, and I'm very confident in my gender, and nothing against those people who are, like, seeking and figuring out what they need to be and whatever, like, or just, like, yeah, but just, like, people who are really insecure about their gender, I find myself, like, wanting to not get close to them, and the person that I ended up dating was, like, very secure, just like me, like, very secure in their gender, and so I was like, okay, there we go. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting to hear about all the ups and downs of her operation and hear about the toll it took on her body and her relationships ultimately too. So yeah, I just found that interesting, especially because in the US, we don't have trans surgery covered. We're we're not even close to getting that happening. But I know that she was saying that now Manitoba is the best place to get trans surgery and it's covered by... Canadian funding or Canadian healthcare, or is that more province wide? So, healthcare is something that's determined province to province, but it's federally mandated what is available. So, I don't know if that quite makes sense. So, it's federally mandated that healthcare is free and available and universal to everyone. And so, if you leave one province into the next, you're still covered. But I think different things are available to different degrees in different places, just based on the beliefs of the people that are there, kind of thing. You know, like you'll find some cultures in places that are a little bit more conservative and then therefore will have more barriers to care even though it might be like legally mandated that it's okay Mm, interesting okay yeah so so i'll just jump in Mm -hmm. she was saying that she had to in bc see a psychiatrist to make sure she wasn't schizophrenic or had any other health concerns whereas in manitoba they had a like queer clinic and so they were more open to what she was going through and who she was and how she was struggling and how that would fit in with being passed by a psychologist. And similarly so like at the clinic that was very used to seeing a lot of like queer clients I think they were yeah more familiar with the other barriers to care in their life or access to work and stuff like that so she wasn't as discriminated against for things like being on welfare because they understood like the barriers that it would be for her to like be in public but not pass and such things whereas like in other places 
that would be a thing where they're like, well, if you're on welfare, you must not have your shit together. We can't. So then they're like, there'd be more stigma around that and discrimination around that. Very interesting. There's so much that goes into it. And like, it's, it is so much about like a cultural understanding of trans too. It sounds like where a lot more places get it and and some places don't and they're putting weird barriers onto things. I think that that kind of speaks to the kind of people that you have in healthcare also and like the exposure that they have to different subcultures and why that's an important thing and why, you know, that really either can create access to care or barriers depending. Yeah, you're completely right. You're completely right. Also, I wanted to ask, so what did you find that you enjoyed most about doing this interview with Gretchen specifically? Yeah, I think it was really amazing to have this space open up any question that we felt comfortable asking and she felt comfortable answering. We didn't know her very well and we had this platform to just kind of jump in and really get deep with whatever we wanted to know about who she was and how she dealt with her life and a really, really big part of her life. So yeah, I really enjoyed just hearing her story and I felt really honored to be able to ask those questions and her willingness to allow us to pick her brain. Totally. Was there anything that surprised you during the interview? Yeah, I I think the part that stood out for me a lot was the struggle that she went through pre pre transition post transition and the surgery and everything leading up to that like she was on disability and welfare because she couldn't work as a trans person it was too hard for her and then after her surgery she said she ended up in the psych ward like after 4 months cuz she basically she couldn't lift any 10 pounds of weight she was bedridden for months and like that alone plus all the other social constraints that she had been experiencing her whole life I was amazed so much that she went through the pain of surgery because it was worthwhile and she didn't regret a single part of that and she suffered a lot and she says she wouldn't wish that on anybody and that to me is so powerful to hear that she did it anyway because it was worth it and she doesn't quite understand why she needed you know like a boob job to feel like a woman but she did and it was worth it and her life has changed it's actually saved her and yeah it's really beautiful (laughs) yeah totally and you know even like listening to a lot of her interview she's so hilarious and it's I don't know everything's happened to her but she like has a great attitude i don't know she seems like she's gone through like unimaginable pain and strife and it's just like coming out the other side so that's really nice it was hard as an interviewer to stop laughing (laughs) Mm because she was so funny and that was part of what we had learned is like try not to say "Mm mm-hmm and yes and keep your like background noise to yourself but it was really difficult because she was so funny and we really just enjoyed laughing with her I really laughed a lot throughout the whole interview and I found the whole process really joyous you know and we were talking about some really intense and really hard things and some times of her life that involved a lot, lot of suffering and and fear and other things but through it all she knew what she needed and she was following innate sense of truth and what would be right for her in the discussion we talked a lot about like layers of identity and not knowing necessarily where her sense of identity was coming from and also talking about how for other people we would sort of like 
encourage them to accept their life and accept the way they are and find happiness with where they were. But for her, she knew that wasn't real for her. And the path and the hard work that she was willing to do to follow that truth, I thought was just so impressive. And to see her here now with us in this like space of joy and laughter, it was like, it really worked for her life. You know, it was exactly what she needed and she'd known that all along which I thought was just so special. I don't think that you see that in very many lives, you know, people that have this like core sense of truth and then can follow it through anything. I really appreciate you saying that, Lindsay, this like idea of truth that's so deep to the core and pulling us different places, but that, you know, like we all experience partially part of this, right? Where we don't fit in here or there. And even though it does, it might not make sense or it doesn't look like it makes sense. It doesn't matter that truth is strong enough to be very real and so clear. Yeah. And to accept that and to ask the people around you also to accept that or to find community that does. And that's really impressive and cool. Yeah. It's a very strong sense of a journey and a destination somewhere. I don't know. I think it's also rare. Like even the queer community, a lot of people I would say don't have like such a clear idea of I know exactly where I want to go with this. Here I am. This is it. That's something else she said in the interview is she's moving away from this queer identity towards more just gay or dyke because queer is more of this umbrella term and she knows that she's a woman and she knows that that's who she is and she's not questioning it. (laughs) Totally. Well, it's nice to see people with lots of good conviction. (laughs) I also love, though, how uh, she would say that and then also leave space for things to change. You know, she'd be like, you know, like, I'm a woman, and I'm only ever going to date women. She's like, until, you know, maybe I'll date a man or something. (laughs) And then she'll just laugh about it, because she knows that it's so contradictory. But it's also she's like, but that's life, like some you feel this strength and this pull. And then sometimes things change. And that's okay, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to try and keep that structure and the fluidity at the same time, because you're like, I do feel like I have a structure. But I also feel like, I don't know what the world is going to bring me in terms of connection and identity. So (laughs) awesome. Well, do you guys have any tips for interviewing that people can use for their future interviews if they want to do some? Yeah, for interviewing skills, I don't feel like I've done enough to really develop skills. (laughs) But I think Lindsay and I would both agree of just being very authentic in trying to bring both of our hearts and honoring this person who's in front of us. I think that was really important for us to enjoy what she was saying and trying to make her comfortable, but also ourselves comfortable and worrying less about maybe typical things that you would worry during an interview, like small details and saying the right things. And Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's all our time for today. But thank you for talking to me. And for those of you guys listening, check out the Bridge of the Gap project at allotarchives.org. And you can check out more interviews and how to get involved like Azra and Linz did. So thanks for joining us today. Thank, thank you. And thanks, and thanks to Gretchen for providing this really informative talk. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Okay. Well, see you guys next time. Bye. So today we're here with our archivist, Megan Wally, and she's going to tell us about what's coming up with the archives. 
So we have a couple poetry readings coming up in Vancouver next week that I want to talk a bit about. The first will be on March 14th at 12.30 at Simon Fraser University's Special Collections and Rare Books on the seventh floor of the WAC Bennett Library. For this reading, we're welcoming our poet in residence, Jane Byers, who hails from Nelson, BC. In 2016, Jane came out with her second poetry collection, Acquired Community, which is now a 2017 Golden Crown Literary Society Award winner for poetry and is featured on All Lit Up's top 10 social justice publications in Canada. Her debut poetry collection, Stealing Effects, is published by Caitlin Press, and she's also released recently a chapbook called It Hurt, That's All I Know. And she has had poems and essays published in various literary journals in Canada, the U.S., and England. Right now, she's in the midst of reviewing oral testimonies from Alot's archives and writing poems in response, which she will be reading on the 14th alongside select poems from Acquired Community. And we're all very excited to have her. The second reading is the next day on March 15th at 7 p.m. and will be hosted at a brand new queer arts festival gallery space at 268 Kiefer Street. The gallery is located on the fourth floor, suite 425. This reading will again feature Jane Byers, but this time she'll be joined by Cicely Bell Blaine, a writer, facilitator, and activist originally from London, England. They run a consulting agency and are a founder of Black Lives Matter Vancouver, as well as a columnist for several publications, including Daily Extra and The Body is Not an Apology. They're also a sub-editor at Beyond the Binary, a UK-based magazine for trans and non-binary people. Cicely is the 2017 winner of Canadian Power of Youth Leadership Awards in social movement building for their contributions to LGBTQ rights and the Black Liberation Movement. They'll be reading a short story, Amara, which falls into the genre of Afrofuturism, a category of writing that imagines Blackness and people of color into the world of science fiction, where their narratives are so often missing. And I've read it, and it's beautiful, it's queer, it's timely. So if you're in Vancouver, I would definitely recommend coming and seeing both of these amazing people share their brilliant work. ASL translation will be available at the March 15th event, and both readings are free and open to the public. So we really hope to see you there. Cool. So 14th and 15th, check it out. There's going to be information for that on the website and our social media. Yeah, yeah, it's all over our social media right now. So awesome. Check it out. That sounds very cool. I'm interested to see what Jane Byers has created after working on this project for such a while now. Yeah, I'm really excited. Apparently, she has sound clips put together that she's going to incorporate. So should be cool. That's so awesome. Okay, well, thank you, Megan. No problem. No problem. All right. Well, tune in next time. Funding for this project is provided by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, a federal research funding agency that promotes and supports post-secondary based research and research training in the humanities and social sciences. 